Welcome to another episode of Ethnic Discourses. I am your host, Malik Abdul Khalik. In the wee unlit late hours of March 18th, 2018, while Stefan Clark desperately tapped on one of the back windows of his grandmother's house, two Sacramento police officers discharged a volley of bullets that ended his life. He was unarmed with only a cell phone in his possession. The sparks were deliberately delivered to reignite the fuse of rebellion. Consequently, the streets of Sacramento, California, as were other streets throughout the nation, were transformed into daily swelling convulsions of rebellion and protest that reminded the nation and the world of the inveterately abject injustices that still seem to systematically disaffect black people. Despite many warnings of the past, one bluntly yet ambiguously stated by President Lyndon Johnson when he appraised the rebellion of the early 1960s was that each riot began with a single incident. Yet, it was prudently reported more forthrightly in the Kerner Commission or report of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders that appeared in 1968 that the number one cause invariably of civil unrest was and still is instances of police brutality and wanton lethality disproportionately meted out to black people. In the wake of said convulsions, lives were irremediably left in disarray. However, out of the smoldering ashes, a phoenix has arisen as a legacy to the lives tragically taken and as a foundation and center for peace and restoration. I am pleased to have as a guest on Ethnic Discourses, Stevante Clark, the stalwart brother of Stefan Clark, who has kept his brother's name and memory front and center with the continued focus of police brutality and the rebuilding of black lives. I had the beautiful, beautiful pleasure of welcoming Stevante Clark to this episode of Ethnic Discourses. Welcome, Stevante. I open this up with the with the sincerest of questions. How are you doing in this day, bro? I mean, most of us were most most times individuals, you know. And I've been patient and anticipating this conversation between myself and you. You and I have been heart to heart um, and much in love with both the struggle as well as the protests against why we're involved in the struggle too. So, how you been, bro? Well, I've been um, uh, working. I've been I've been good. I've been um, healthy. I've been, um, and that's critical. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. that's critical, especially in this day and age. You know where we're. The, it seems like the COVID nineteen, the pay, you know, the melee of that is lifting and turning the corner. And much of us, you know, are now getting into the uh, intimate fold of being brothers and sisters with each other, absent the mask. You know, so now we can get back to the work that we used to do. You know, so with you being healthy and things of that sort, um, I opened up this piece with the description. You know of the actions of March 18th, 2018, that nobody wants to be catapulted into the exclusivity of a club such as that. Um, that brought about Stefan's house. So if you can, I wanna, I wanna open up with your words. Tell me what the concept of Stefan's house was all about, please. Um, we can talk legacy, we can, this, is open, this is open mic, talk as you feel. Um, the concept of Stefan's house is to commemorate life and legacy of not just Stefan, but Breonna Taylor, Sam Jablan, George Floyd, Oscar Grant, Tamir Rice, Marshall Miles, Colby Friday, James Rivera, Sean Monterosa, Ben Chester White, Dr. King, Emmett Till, 
in a positive light so that their names may live on in the general and for generations long after you and I left this earth. But deeper than that, Stefan's house is a museum in that aspect. It's a library because we have over 10,000 books. I believe you cannot lead if you do not read. It's a resource center because I believe give a man a fish, she for a day. Teach that same brother how to use the internet, he might never call you back. And it's a, <laughs> and it's a rec center because I believe we need a safe, brave space. We need a brave, safe space, a music studio, a game room, somewhere to relax, a therapy room to chill. So um, Stefan's house was created because I think this is all the things Stefan needed when he was alive. And I think a lot of other people that we lost to the movement um, could have had and would have probably been here because Stefan's house also promotes transformative justice, which is an alternative to the way people are doing the policing, alternatives to incarceration. We believe in community policing here and evidence policing, which is policing based on research, you know? Because um, if you did evidence policing, honestly, I was just watching Netflix today, and you wouldn't have a Jeffrey Dahmer situation. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, saw that, I saw that very yeah. same document. Because I saw no that very same court. community policing. Yes. They had no, they had had no, no, had no evidence. Yeah, it was eating. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, you weren't doing your policing based on research. You know, you weren't doing your policing based on the community relationships that you had in the community. If those officers had a relationship with um, Sister Glenda or Wanda, whoever the neighbor was at the time, then they would have known that that guy was up there doing inappropriate things. But since there was no community policing or no policing based on research, um, then you see things, atrocities like this, till this day, continue to happen. So that's why Stefan's house was created. You know? That was a beautiful way which you described, which you described the essences, uh, you know, that borne out the birth of, of Stefan's house, transformative justice, a place where individuals, you know, can be transformative and seek to rest, restorative justice themselves. Um, one of the rooms in this beautiful museum of sorts, and it is a museum of sorts because it is a reminder, you know, of the uh, abject injustices that we as black men, we as black people, you know, suffer each day and every day, especially with respect to police brutality and, and lethality. Um, one of the rooms in this beautiful museum of sorts in Stefan's house is a therapy room. And one of there's a there's a plaque on this therapy, there's a plaque on this therapy room that reminds us of the seven rules of life, and that first rule is make peace with your history, or screw up your screw up your present. How you opened up and how you were talking about with respect to the ten thousand books that are you know that are compiled in in this particular library here, um, history is history is very beneficial to an understanding of oneself and one's presence you know by way of studying one's one's past. Um, being an ethnic studies scholar myself, that's one of the reasons why you and I click on this because, brother, you're a deep brother, you know, and you and I have talked on many, many occasions and outside of the clips, you know, that the media uh, misfeeds individuals, um, you and I have a connection that most people don't understand. Um, what occurred on March 18th hit me viscerally because I'm a product of Meadowview. I came up in Meadowview, 19th and Farron, right across from uh, Freeport Elementary School. It's now a it's not a charter school, but you know, I was living in in Meadowview when Meadowview was put on the map in 1985 with a triple homicide that was committed down the street from 19, 19th and Farron. Uh, brother, let me let me ask you a question with respect to Stefan's house. So you were talking about transformative justice. What are the ways with respect to are there are there are there plans are there segments you know are there efforts you know that are being for Put forth by Stefan's house that can reorientate individuals who have essences of their lives destroyed, you know, and put into disarray by what had occurred. I was here. I was here Sunday night, and there was an open mic. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, Ste- Stefan Sundays. Yes. Yes. Um, Stefan Sundays is the first action item people could take if they want to um, be a part of the movement, not the moment when it comes to transformative justice, when it comes to even restorative justice, when it comes to social justice, economic justice, um, racial injustices, when it comes to the fight, per se, in any form of matter that we partake in, Stefan Sundays is the first step because you get first... It's a it's a potluck community potluck because it's too many neighborhoods, not enough neighbors. It's a open mic because we believe in giving our young people a platform to commemorate lives and legacies of their own in a positive light. Um, we have it's a call to action because we will always fight for justice and accountability on not some levels, but all, all levels. levels. Um, and so Stefan's house, um, Stefan Sundays is the first step, the first step of that move. Even when it comes to de-escalation tactical teams. And um, um, when it comes to de-escalation tackle teams, before we even talk about how we're going to observe, report, deter, detect, mediate, disengage, and engage, and how to break down issues in a way where we're not leaving a stain on the legacy or tarnishing the name of Stefan Clark, um, before we even do that, we have to go to the Civil Rights Academy. I created a new Civil Rights Academy here at Stefan's, which will be starting, I believe, this week or next week. But it's a new Civil Rights Academy post-George Floyd era. And we talk about the different types of social activism, um, uh, clicktivism, activism, performative activism, the different justices, the different types of implicit biases, um, the policy and legislative change that's needed. But before people could start um, de-escalating and being a, a product of, 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 of being a, a frontline force for our community, we must plot, plan, mobilize, organize, strategize, centralize, and weaponize. Yes. Until we do those then we can never be a, a, a protect and serve force for our people because we haven't got down and created a uniform. And when I say uniform, I'm not talking about clothing. <laughs> for, for for the uninitiated, for those who can't see what's going on here, my, when my dear brother was talking about weaponized, he was pointing to his mind, you know, and, and the mind is the most strongest of weapons that we can sharpen, you know, and, and equip ourselves with. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, making peace with history, understanding who you are as as a person and who you are as a people in a collective sense, yes. especially when people are in a still living in a colonized, you know, in a semi-colonized and um, um, behind in police and powers. Final question, because I know you're a very busy man and I'm busy also. Um, and this is a real show. So here's a question. Do you think black men in America are a hundred species? The reason why I asked that, that particular question, because the lead up to this, I was talking about and I deliberately used that terminology for we've been feared and we still are feared. I was just reading the book and since you were talking about the books in, in the library here, one of the books, America on Fire, The Untold History of Police Violence and Black Rebellion Since the 1960s by Elizabeth Hinton and also The, the Culture of Fear, Why Americans Are Afraid of the Wrong Things by Barry Glasner. Both of those, Similar. yeah, both of those scholars on, on different ends of a spectrum, you know, color-wise, you know, as, as seemingly topics, they identify invariably black men as being identified as the number one boogeyman and thing to be feared in, in America. And that's been going on for 300, 400 years. So when I ask that question, I know it's sort of like a rhetorical question, but what do you think could be done to lessen the fear, you know, of black men in America? I know it's a big question, but I have that's to ask. A lot, you know, um, because there's just so many people that play a part of this, you know, the media. Malcolm X says the media is one of the most powerful entities in the world because they have the power to make the innocent look guilty and the guilty look innocent, you know? Um, so the media does a, a wonderful job as painting us as predators and animals. Um, 
you know, um, black people sometimes we could be our own worst enemy too. Yes. I've always said black people kill more black people than the Ku Klux Klan has ever dreamed of. Yep. We've killed each other. Um, um, also, I also. just believe and feel like um, Malcolm X says this, and he says the black woman is the most disrespected person in America. Stevante Clark believes the, mo- the black man is the most villainized person in America. The black man is the most feared upon America. But I also believe the black man is the most influential person in American soil. I believe, you know, we have the influence. And through us, things change. You know, once we set the standard, it follows and it goes away. If we got our shit together, the black woman, the black family, everything gets together, you know, because we are the ones. You know, I always say we're the chosen and the forgotten ones, you know. Um, So for me... You know, I, I want to see black man prosper, succeed, and the whole nine, you know. Um, and I think for us, the only way we can make that happen is if we, as black men, come to the round table and figure out what the hell is going on, how we can solve these problems, how we can put, understand our history so we don't repeat it, and really work together. You know, I really don't see that happening anytime soon right now because of the the social media and the propaganda and the divisive rhetoric. Yes. You know, um, so it's just so much going on right now. So many spirits are out there right now. Yes. I want to dive into it. Yeah. You know, we ain't got the time. And we, we don't have the time, but we made it, we made a Herculean effort, you know, yes, to, to address the problem. Uh, thank you very much. Thank to you me, You're more than welcome. Thank you. And that's what I'm talking about. Thank you very much, brother. Oh, much love. Yes, much yes, love. Yes. Much love. In a modestly nondescript business front, which provides the left side bookend of an assemblage of perhaps three small enterprises, is a place from which to rebound and rebuild. If you drive too fast, you might miss it, though the echoes for remembrance from within should serve as a natural beacon of sorts. By definition, museums are places that evoke remembrance. Some are of the type that elicit the nostalgia of innocent days of four, filled with thoughts of gumdrops, cotton candy, lollipops, and snippets of feel-good cinematography served up and projected from whitewashed walls that reverberate similar narratives. And most times those narratives are bland and made seemingly safe. Then there are the museums that do, by definition, serve as a place wherein a display of the historical cultivates an appreciation of a collective history. A collective reminder that screams from the hundreds of souls who are depicted from pictures that speak from the walls inside and remind of the legacy of police lethality against black folk. This type of nostalgia is grisly and grim. Stefan's house is a place of refuge and repair. Upon entrance, beyond the metal-framed, smoky, dark glass door, the small foyer doubles as the general congregating area. A few chairs, interspersed here and there, provide an audience for weekly activities. An open mic on Sunday evenings has been recently added to the litany of community-based activities that encourage learning, consciousness-raising, and talent recognition. Murals, protest posters, and a cornucopia of pictures depicting Stefan Clark beam a bold, 
blaring and balmy greeting that arrest one's eyes when looking ahead. If one proceeds either right or left along a U-shaped hallway, the walls are decorated with the small posters of hundreds of black women, men, and children who have been killed by police in America. Some of the names, Armin Prude, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Philando Castile, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, Trayvon Martin, Amadou Diallo, Jason Walker, Donnell Rochester, Stefan Clark. I could continue reading for a very long time. The pictures of those murdered are imperative for retaining the thoughts of those dejected and ignored. Statistical numbers can sometimes be mind-numbing in attempts to quantify. But here goes. While black folk constitute 13% of the population, by gross comparison between the years 2015 and 2022, 41 of them per 1 million were killed by the police. White victims of police shootings were killed at a rate of 16 per million. On a more granular level, the risk of a black man being killed by the police is 1 in 1,000. For Latino men, the number is 1 in 1,200. While police are incessantly not held accountable for the disproportionate number of unarmed killings of black people in America, the message delivered is twofold yet equally psychologically traumatizing. That is, abject societal disregard for the value of their lives. With that, the phoenix has risen in Stefan's house. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Ethnic Discourses. At this time, I want to give a shout out to my musicologist, Randy Ram. He provided the theme song for my show, as well, I want to give a shout out to Candle Wonders for providing the muted yet ambient glow in my studio. New episodes are to appear every other Wednesday. If you like my show, please subscribe. And sharing is caring. Tell someone else. That's what I'm talking about. If you'd like to send a voice message and comment on an episode, you can do such at https colon forward slash forward slash anchor period f m forward slash m a l i k hyphen a b d u l hyphen k h a l i q forward slash m e s s a g e 